0: Greetings to you loved ones. <clears throat> uh, I would encourage you, if you've not done so already, uh, to make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is today's sermon text with the title Boast in Weakness. And uh, it's, it's so good. What a, what a kindness of the Lord to be with you this morning to uh, see many of your faces. And if it's not been apparent already, um, from Pastor Brian's prayer, quite a quite a lot has happened in this past week, uh, and there was at one point about a twelve-hour stretch during this past week where uh, issue after issue, um, problem after problem, suffering after suf- suffering, seemed to just multiply in a short amount of time, and uh, at, at one point. Uh, just directed this prayer and this question to the Lord. I, Lord, what is it that you're up to? What is it that you're doing in the life of this church? There, so much is happening in a short amount of time. And you've heard us say so many times um, what a kind providence it is of the Lord for him to align the sermon text With some of the things that are happening in our life. And uh, I think if we had tried a few days ago um, as as pastors to uh, preach on or select a text that may more appropriately deal with what's going on in the life of our church, um, uh, this would have been, had to have been uh, at the top of the list. And so with all the things that have been going on in your life and your heart, this is what I pray you'll hear this morning, if, if, if nothing else today, that you'll hear these words from your father with the love of his son, as he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I pray that those are the words that ring true in our heart today. And with that in view, worship with me in the reading of God's word. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 13. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's join our hearts together and ask for his help. Father, we bow our heart before you, admitting our weakness. And we pray, Lord, that of all the many things that you want to do for your glory today among us Uh, as individuals who make up this gathering, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see and understand and experience that your grace is sufficient and that we would be glad-hearted to boast only in Christ. Do this for your glory and do this for our joy in Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Paul opens chapter 12, continuing on the theme of boasting, with this phrase, boasting is necessary, or maybe some of your translations may read this, I must go on boasting. Uh, I find that an interesting start uh, considering the applic- or one of the applications that Pastor Jim gave for us last week. If you recall, he encouraged all of us, spend some time this week and just evaluate your own boasting. So was this in any way, is, is Paul's statement here, is that in any way a contradiction to what I think we all find to be a very helpful application that we ought to examine and consider our own boasting before the Lord? I believe what's happening here is he's saying to the Corinthians and providing for them, further explanation for the kind of boasting that honors our Father in heaven. So there's two points today. One is boasting in weakness, and we'll spend um, 90%, if not more, of the, uh, of the sermon today in this first point, boasting in weakness, and the second is contentment in weakness. So we look at boasting in weakness, again, that phrase in verse 1 Boasting is necessary. Boasting is necessary when speaking the truth. Paul opens here in uh, in the following verses with these visions and revelation. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I I do not know or out of the body I do not know. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. The first heaven being... Uh, Birds and clouds, the second heaven being where the sun, moon, and stars. The third heaven is the very dwelling place, the very abode of God, a blissful place within the courts of heaven where Christ is to be worshipped. This man in Christ is a third person uh, revelation of Paul speaking about himself. So Paul here, using the third person, is describing his own Experience so there's a couple of questions for us to consider with the vision and with the revelation. One, what is the thorn a reference to? We speaks of that later on. And second is why would it be regarded as a messenger of Satan? So what is a thorn reference to? There are four kind of prevailing, prominent views for what Paul could be referencing by the thorn. Is it an inner psychological struggle that Paul is grappling with? By using this reference, is he speaking of his opponents? Or is Paul referencing a physical affliction that he may be suffering? Or lastly, is this some kind of demonic harassment? Well, why is it regarded as a messenger of Satan? Some think that what he may be referencing to is an actual demonized person, perhaps a person of prominence in Corinth that was sent in order to disrupt Paul, to harass Paul. But from the text, we cannot conclusively make a clear connection on what is being described as a thorn. So several prevailing views help us to arrive at this conclusion. Nobody knows. We don't know certain what's being referenced here. And as a helpful note, we should exercise caution anytime the Bible is not explicitly clear on a subject. When the text is not explicitly clear, go with what the text makes clear. Here are some things that we do know. It was a messenger of Satan. It was given so that Paul would not become conceited. Those are two statements that we know with certainty. It was meant to expose pride and lead Paul to humbly boast in his very own weakness. It was a tool in the hand of God for the power of Christ to be on display. One scholar had a helpful quote that I tend to agree with as I studied a text this week. Pastorally, this was his quote, however, it may be to our advantage not to know. The very openness of the identification allows wide possibilities of personal application to a broad range of personal suffering which precise identification might limit. It's less crucial that we know what the thorn is than why Paul has it in the flesh. First, or this is the first and only incident where Paul speaks of the visions and revelations he's experienced. We can understand that from not referencing it in other letters, that the visions and revelations were not foundational to Paul's apostleship. He's not grounding his apostleship in what he's seen and what he's experienced. Much of this second letter is to defend his apostleship, not so that his personal ministry can expand, but to establish the glory of God in the person and work of Christ. He wasn't building his ministry among the Corinthians and other churches on the foundation of what he experienced and what he saw. One reason we know this is that he says boasting is not profitable. He's clearly saying it's not profitable. Another reason would be what he wrote in the very first letter to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one, for no man can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is his foundation for ministry. Not visions. Not revelations. And a third reason is seen in verse 6 here. Where he doesn't want to give others reason to give or be tempted to give uh, him more credit than what he deserves. You see, boasting wants to promote self and will even use opportunities given by God in order to build a platform intended to lead others to be impressed with us. God's not having that. It was prayed earlier, Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Boasting should be refrained from when pride is the platform. One reason for the thorn in the flesh is to keep Paul from pride. The phrase he uses in verse 7. Exalting in oneself can be translated as over-uplifted or to be exalted above measure. He references this twice. Pride is an ugly sin, especially in those who are ministers of God. Again, two times in verse 7, we see the reason for the thorn, that it was to keep Paul from exalting himself. So what, what is it that we do with our pride? James 4, 6 helps us to see that we humble ourselves because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. A few verses later in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. That's the emphasis, not pride. Nobody's impressed with pride but with humility. I won't labor on this point much But there was inner pride in Paul that simply didn't go away by Paul humbling himself. A thorn, an affliction, or whatever it was, God deemed it necessary. I believe it was Clyde Cranford who uh, said that the Christian should welcome the wounding of his pride. Pride doesn't start with a public platform. Pride begins in your inner man. And that's what appears to be the case here. The vision had happened 14 years ago. Paul's not making a public boast, but he is acknowledging the toxicity of pride in the inner man. Loved ones, we may do well in not allowing pride in our bedrooms, but let's not allow it to stay in the guest room of our home. Pride prevents the power of Christ from abiding in you. The power of Christ is not interested at all in sharing space with pride. The language here, that the power of Christ may dwell in you. Again, this phrase, to keep me from exalting myself. God does not need the incredible circumstances that he puts us in for us to use as any leverage with others. Like, The description there, the third heaven, being in a place where there's inexpressible words, that was for God. It was for Paul's worship of God. It was not for Paul to use as leverage or as a point of boasting or a comparison to how much God is using him as opposed to others. God doesn't need any of that. His grace is sufficient because his son is sufficient. You see the parallels here. Visions, revelations, weaknesses, insults, persecutions, all of these are for Christ's sake. God is not asking us to dress up his gospel. Paul is not being tasked to create a buzz around his experiences. This is a simple statement that's loaded with meaning and spills over in every sphere of life and ministry. Jesus is all we need because Jesus is all we have. Let me say that again. It's a simple statement. But it is pregnant with meaning and it spills over into every aspect of life and ministry. Jesus is all we need. Because Jesus, he's all we have. To back up a couple verses in verse 5. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. It's for the benefit of. Boasting is appropriate when it is for the benefit of another person. I think verse 5 is the hinge pin here. That on behalf of such a man, Paul's saying, I will boast. His boast is directed toward what the Lord did. What the Lord exposed him to. But when it comes to boasting about himself, it's Paul's weakness that he draws others to. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger, and not your own lips. Boasting in our weakness highlights the grace and power of Christ. Here's where we get to maybe the thicker, meatier part of today's text. Boasting in our weakness highlights the grace and power of Christ. His grace is sufficient as the perfected power of Christ dwells in the humble, dependent man. Something remarkable is happening here. To keep Paul from being conceited, a thorn was given to him. This thorn was given to him as a messenger of Satan in order to keep Paul from being conceited. It's remarkable because you really think that Satan cares that Paul is not conceited. He doesn't. He's doing anything and everything to distract and to detract us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a tool in the hand of the living God to accomplish what the living God wants done in Paul's heart and to the church in Corinth. Satan is subject to God and is here used by God to accomplish God's purposes. This thorn is for Paul's sanctification. For a little more than nine years, I worked at Starbucks and we had a customer... An everyday customer that drove every single one of our baristas crazy. And the reason that she drove us crazy is because the drink that she would come in, uh, she quite regularly would change it. And you really wouldn't know that until after you handed the, the beverage off to her and she would say, well, did you, did, you put, uh, did you give me four shots today? You know, did you put the half and half... Uh, first, before you put the vanilla, did you spoon the shots over? Did you give me decaf? I'm not making all that stuff up. That's 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 really what the kind of things that she was asking. Well, inwardly, I was incinerating toward her. She would walk into our cafe, and immediately the posture in my heart was anger, frustration, irritation. I didn't like her. I didn't want to make her beverage. It was after several of days of this that the Lord helped me to see the problem was not her the problem was me That's that's where the problem was at And so I began to see her rot, not not as somebody who irritated me made me that's a kind way to say anger but as part of the Lord's means of sanctifying me, began to pray for her and ask the Lord to change my heart toward her. And when she would come in, I would say, good to see you, so and so. Uh, how would you like your drink today? Do you want your vanilla? Do you want your half and half? Are we doing two shots? Are we doing four shots? And several years later, as I continued to pray for her, she went through a very difficult time in her life. And one particular day as I was getting ready to leave and walking out of the cafe, she asked if we could talk. So we sat outside and she began to pour her heart out about things that were happening in her life. And she poured her heart out in such a way that I happened to have a friend that was driving down the highway at the time who sent me a text and just said, man, what did you do to her? Because she is letting you have it right now. But really, it was an opportunity to listen and an opportunity to encourage her in Christ, and an opportunity to pray for her. The circumstances are not the problem. The thorn is not the problem. God's using it for Paul's sanctification. God's using these things in our life for our sanctification so that it provides an opportunity for us to see and experience and enjoy the sufficiency of his grace. A simplistic way to understand the purpose of the thorn in the flesh is that it kept Paul from succumbing to the temptation to exalt himself and helped him humbly boast in Christ. Service to Christ rather than boasting in self. How do you really know that it's really all about Jesus? your boast will be in him. Verse 7, back to this phrase that I prayed the Lord would use in your heart today, but he said. The perfect here implies that the Lord's words remain with Paul. And he has said to me, he has said. Underneath that is, uh, is that these words would remain with Paul. These words were meant to be of comfort and assurance. What? I mean, Metaphorically here, we're we're talking about a thorn in the flesh, something that he had asked the Lord, implored of the Lord three times to take away from him. These words were meant to be of comfort and assurance? It's something that's bothering him. And the Lord's active voice in Paul's present predicament is this, my grace is sufficient for you, These are the words of the Lord in his present predicament. My grace is sufficient for you. What you see as an impediment is actually from God. Grace and his power are being perfected in his very own weakness. Paul could have if he wanted to. He had reason and worldly consideration to boast. Yet he didn't fall into that vice. He has every reason to hold up his credentials to try to authenticate his apostleship among a mixed bag of people. Some who wanted him there, others who could care less about him, but he didn't hold up his credentials. He held up before them in very realized experienced weakness in eternal Christ. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. This Sufficiency. This tense here reveals constant availability. It's enough. It's sufficient. It's adequate. It could be understood in this way. You need nothing more than my grace. At our most basic need, in the hardest of hardships... In the middle of the trial, the Lord is saying to Paul and to us today, you need nothing more than my grace. And those are words that are meant to comfort. Those are words that are meant to actually be helpful. Those are words that are meant to give hope. His grace is enough. What was the need of the moment? It was grace. What was given to him in the moment? It was grace. What else did he need in that moment? Nothing. In that moment, grace was all that he needed. And that's precisely what God supplies in Christ. What a blessing! What a blessing. For my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. It's made perfect. It's meant to complete an activity or process, to bring it to an end, to finish. Power finds its consummation or reaches perfection in the presence of our weakness. So that we would rest in this, to fix a tent or have an habitation, to use as a place for lodging, to take up quarters or to take up one's abode. This is where the Lord wants us to to rest, where he wants us to find rest. But something else is happening in this passage to help Paul and the Corinthians understand humanity in the economy of God. For Paul and for the disciples and other apostles, there are temptations that come with their apostleship. You're near Christ. You're used by God. You're surrounded by opportunities for the gospel. You're witnessing the mighty works of God. You're being carried by him through sufferings and hardships, so it's natural to man for this to be a temptation. Counter to this are what the people, here the Corinthians, might be tempted to think of in their relationship with Christ. Let me say it in this way. God's elevated, in a sense, or to a degree, Paul in his apostleship. He's using him. The Corinthians are seeing that. So here are a couple of things that could be going on. Perhaps the Corinthians are saying, am I less a Christian? Because I haven't been called up to the third heaven. I'm not as articulate with the gospel as Paul. I haven't suffered in the ways that Paul has. The Lord is using this thorn to level the playing field in our relationship with Christ and our usefulness in his kingdom. There are no such thing as super apostles. There are no such thing as super Christians. We're all weak. And this should nurture and foster meekness and humility among us. That's the way of Christ. That's the example of Christ. So, loved ones, consider this a gentle rebuke. If there's any member among us right now who's thinking, man, if something were to happen to the other 111 members of this church, maybe... That might be the moment where the Lord might intend to use me in an area. Consider that a gentle rebuke. Consider this a sharp rebuke. If there are any members among us who believe or think that the Lord has to have us in order to carry out his purposes among our flock, let us be careful not to veer off the side of the road and get into either ditch. Let this quote from Spurgeon serve as an encouragement. God will have no strength used in his battles, but the strength that he himself imparts. Weakness is not to be understood here as though he's speaking of human strength. Paul's not saying that his path of ministry could be better accomplished if he could endure better, or if he had more strength, or if he had not encountered the trials or the sufferings that he's been facing. He's not focusing on that type of weakness. Paul is saying clearly, hear this. Weakness is the way. Weakness is the path. Weakness is the humble posture before God where we understand our limitations in light of God's power and we delight to be there. We're glad to be there so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Paul's weakness, or excuse me, Paul's weaknesses as the basis for Christ's power is what Haifman describes as Paul's strongest argument for the legitimacy of his apostleship. And he spent so much time defending his apostleship. And Haifman, I think he's, I think he's right here, is saying that it's weaknesses to boast in the power of Christ is the strongest defense yet for his apostleship. Men and women of valor will gladly boast in their weaknesses. So let me ask you something. What kind of service to the Lord And for the good of this church, are you trying to talk yourself out of because you don't have fill in the blank that God might be preparing you for by helping you see where you are weak? Does that question make sense? Let me say it this way. Perhaps the humble weakness that you're more consciously aware of is precisely the work God is doing to prepare you for the work he wants you to do and the very strength that he will provide. Weakness is not an appropriate excuse. Weakness is the way. The Lord is the one who has said, my grace is sufficient. This isn't a cortisone shot. It's not a Z-pack. It's not a two Tylenol type of way of grace. The language here underscores that his grace is actively and perpetually available for you to avail yourselves to and to sink your weakness Whereas the thorn was given to Paul to keep him from exalting himself, there is no such issue keeping Paul from boasting in the sufficiency of Christ. Pride has no platform, but he is free and encouraged to make his boast in Jesus. Boast in the power and strength of God in the cross of Christ. So today's text illustrates that Paul's apostleship is an outflow of his life in Christ. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He understood prior to Christ that he was dead in his sins. He's the one that wrote that in Ephesians 2, the church at Ephesus. He understood himself to be helpless and without hope. Though he didn't write these words in Revelation three seventeen, he knew himself to be uh, this. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He understood these things. So how does a person who brings absolutely nothing more to the table than sin, who cannot breathe spiritual life into himself, who has no way of sustaining himself, who has no way of saving himself, who has zero ability to do what is right according to the standard of God, suddenly have reason to boast in himself? He doesn't. That's why he's glad, really glad to boast in his weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in him. His weakness is his strength because his strength is in the power of Christ. Glory in God and in the strength of his might. That's why he said to the churches in Galatia, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So think of some of the terms that are often associated with boasting. Someone who's lifted up. Someone who's public. A person who draws attention to their works and their actions. Someone who makes a name for themselves. These are phrases, terms that are often associated with an arrogant, conceited, boastful person. Yet in appropriate ways, these are expressions, words language, categories, for the person and work of Christ. Christ was lifted up. John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus said this in John 12, 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Christ's death was public. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Christ, made a name for himself. Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore God has ex- highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote to this same church, God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base things of the world, the despised things God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But it's by his doing, God's doing, that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hopefully we get the point. Christ is worthy of our boast. Be glad to boast in our weakness. This is contrary to human nature. It's in stark contrast to worldly thinking, but it is the only posture for the humble Christian. Quite early in pastoral ministry, the Lord impressed upon me just a very simple a simple prayer that regardless if it was teaching or preaching or uh, a devotion or if I was being asked to pray, uh, regardless of of what I was being tasked to do, it would be a simple acknowledgement of my great dependence upon him. And I'm so thankful that early on the Lord impressed that upon my heart. And then even to this day, you might be, you might think that uh, more opportunities to preach and to teach and to pray. You, you might think that, um, that it becomes easier, but my experience has actually been quite the opposite. I'd say that there's been more anxiety in the last year and a half in preparation for preaching than there has been in my entire life. And I think that the Lord is using 2 Corinthians to 12, 2 Corinthians 12 to, to help me understand Why that's been the case. To help me have more realized weakness, more experienced weakness, so that, so that the power of Christ would be on display. Lastly, contentment and weakness. Our last point serves also as uh, continued application. Be content in weakness for Christ's sake with Christ's power, for the good of the church. This text orients us to the reality of the Christian life. Loved ones, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. Temptations are common to man. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. Temptations are common to man. Suffering is to be expected for the Christian. We should expect that. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. You are going to be tempted and you are going to suffer. We are going to be tempted. We are going to suffer. 1 Peter 4 even tells the church there not to be surprised at the fiery ordeals that are among them. Paul never holds out a view of the Christian life that is only utopian. In fact... He describes weaknesses, distress, and other matters as for Christ's sake. What's my point? For the suffering Christian, you have access to power that abides in you in Christ. Avail yourself to him. Don't stagnantly grovel in your hardships, but actively boast In your weakness, tap into Christ's power. Let me say that again. Don't stagnantly, stay there, grovel in your hardships, but actively boast in your weakness. Tap into Christ's power. So a question for us, if we feel stuck, would be this. Do I believe joy and peace are possible for me? You'd answer that question no, then you then you have a real problem that's rooted in a belief system that's contrary to the gospel. If you don't believe that there's joy and peace available to you, and power available to you, and grace available to you in Christ, if you're not believing those things. Then your your belief system is rooted in something that is contrary to the gospel. But if you believe that, pursue it. Pursue Christ. Haifman said the promise of God's grace and power leads Paul to be pleased in his sufferings rather than continuing to pray for their removal because he knows that when he is weak, then he is strong. Paul had proven to be a true apostle among them. As one under the, as one under the authority of Christ to serve the Corinthians, the wrong he sought forgiveness for was that he didn't receive a gift from them as he had with other churches. He didn't want to be a burden to them. And this will be a theme that will be picked up, Lord willing, next week. And they felt an obligation to support him. And yet Paul assumes the blame for this. Display of humility. So as we draw to a close, boasting in our weakness highlights the grace and power of Christ. His grace is sufficient as the perfected power of Christ dwells in the person who is humbly dependent. Therefore, be glad to make your boast in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your help. We thank you for your sufficient grace. We thank you for the joy and the gladness there is to not just acknowledge that we are weak, but to be glad in this weakness so that the power of Christ would be perfected. We pray, Lord, all the more that your power would be on display in the life of this church. We pray that you would continue, Lord, to work your humility in us. That we would be less impressed with one another. That we would be less inclined to give the appearance that we always have our best foot forward. Lord, that we would boast in our weaknesses. That it would no way cause us to shrink back. It would, it would no way cause us to pump the brakes on your work and our life. But that we would love you and serve one another out of the strength and power and might of Jesus. We ask these things for your glory. We ask them in your strong In mighty name, in Christ's name we pray, amen.